Hello and welcome to Bluebells Forever, a podcast with interviews of Bluebell dancers past and present. Join Sherry Lewis, a Bluebell herself, as she leads us on a journey through story and experience. And now here's Sherry. So back for part two, our honorary Bluebell, Marissa Burgess. And we can do, do a little preface because you reached out to me because you were not a Bluebell, but you, your sister Karina was, your niece Savannah was, but you auditioned, but then you ended up being a principal at the Moulin Rouge for years. And I love that you sent me your reel to see like how vast your career has been. And I go, if you're still a Bluebell because you did hang out in the dressing room. And so you get to be a Mulan. What do they call it? They're not Mulan. What do you call the Mulan? The Doris dances. Yeah, Just Doris, Doris dances. girls. Yeah. Okay. After yeah, Miss Doris. Miss Doris. I've heard her name come up more and more. And I really love hearing that, that story too, because it's such a big part of the iconic Parisian cabaret. And when we did the interview, you were talking about um, this show that's coming up and I got so excited you had your pictures up and I, I know a lot of us are just so excited to know there's going to be a show somewhere in the world. And then you posted that it's coming. And I, I seriously cried a little bit. I was so happy to see that. Yeah. Cause I just, I, I, after talking to all these dancers who we don't know how long quarantine's going to last, we don't know what it will like to come back. And then to see you're doing a full production, um, and you can explain why there's not, there's what three in the whole world right now. So just seeing that gave me hope that that entertainment will continue and that, that you're a part of that and your legacy. This so it's, oh my gosh, I'm looking at your flyer. You all can't see that, <laughs> but we'll post all that. So Marissa, can you share, tell where you are? Because first I thought you were in Brisbane because you were before, but you are in, I'll let you just go from here. Tell me yes, like what you're sorry. doing. I know you're quarantining and the process of this, uh, how it's a back. process yeah it's always a process but this is something else like I've never done in my life this is <laughs> hardcore Terminator showgirl uh, in the house here uh, that's what I call myself because uh, I live yeah five hours flight from here now Australia is as big as the United States um, as you probably know it's very similar in size height and width height and breadth. And um, so if you can imagine, I've gone from sort of Florida, maybe let's say Miami to LA or let's say New York to LA. Anyway, from one side to the other. Yeah. So it's a five hour flight. And uh, this has been on sale. Cabaret de Paris has been in the box office since January. And my producer is based in Melbourne, which you could sort of say is south of Australia. Um, so, yeah, very much like, say, Miami, if you like. Um, and so he, he was living there. Now, he lives in a small state called Victoria. We only have seven states in Australia. And uh, I live in Queensland, which is in the north. But he lives in the south in Victoria, which is a small state, very populated state, densely populated state. And as we were going fine in our big state of Queensland with all our space and everything in a small population, his state uh, of Victoria and Melbourne where he lives, um, it started to get really hot. And they'd already gone through the first wave of corona. It didn't go very well, but they sort of got out of it, out the other side. And then it started to get really bad. And to his credit, Michael Boyd, my producer, he picked up his daughter 
He put everything he owns in a container and he fled. He got himself an exemption to go into Western Australia where he had been keeping tabs on the industry uh, over here. And uh, he literally got out by the skin of his teeth like one day before Victoria locked down for good and for a long, long time. So uh, he drove over. Did he drive over? Sorry, he didn't. He flew over. That was part of the police requirement. His container went via road and, uh, and he quarantined for 14 days, just like I'm doing right now. So he was literally on the road going, Marissa, I'm going to Perth. Are you going to come with me, darling? Are you going to come? Please tell me you're going to come too. And I was like, I, this was, when was this? Gosh. This was only about two months ago. I I can't really pronounce myself, Michael, right now. You know, things are weird. Like, how am I going to say if I can come or not? He said, but I put everything in the container. You have to come. The show is selling. How is the show (laughs) selling? How is that happening? He said, I don't know, but it's been on sale since January and steadily being sold. And people are buying tickets because in Western Australia, they've got their act together. So here yeah. we are. <laughs> well, also, when I talked to Natalie, oh, hey, and she was saying that Perth is very isolated and they lock down and people aren't coming in and out. And they, they're like, she sent me pictures of her, vid- her dance studio and they're just, it looks like life is normal. And here, yes. like, we can't do anything. And so that's why it feels like an alternate world. It does. It's super weird. Um, look, they're supposed to be careful here as well. And they have had a couple of incidences where there's been ships, uh, you know, with lots of corona people on them um, and they've been sort of isolating them in hospitals or whatever. So it's not like it's completely exempt. Uh, it's just that they've got all this distance and space and this ways of manage, managing it. And um, so I've come across, you know, the, what happened was that the show was billed, um, as you can see on this flyer, for one show only, and that's what went out. And because there's such an enthusiasm about there being a show at all, that Friday, the 16th of October, was a sellout really quickly. Once you know the he does his pre-sale, and then uh, when it started to pick up, it went really quickly. And then straight after that, they decided to put the Saturday night on. So, and it went immediately. And so they decided to put a matinee on the Saturday. Um, and that's, and then they decided to put a Thursday on. So prior to this one. So now we've got four shows and they're all sellouts. So, and this is, and this isn't a little theater, right? You, what is it normally seat? It's a 2000 seater, which they'll have to fill by half because they'll be doing every other seat, I believe. And I've asked production, is there any restrictions vis-a-vis my sort of interaction with the audience? Because I do audience participation. I do a comedy section. I schmooze men, obviously, you know, and all these things. And exceptionally, because it's such a vast stage and proscenium and theatre and uh, the stage itself is just bigger than what we're used to being in. We're used to being in the beautiful turn-of-the-century um, civic theatres around Australia and New Zealand, which were all built um, very much sort of 1905, 1908, sort of by the same architects. 
and they're stunning. They're so pretty, you know, with the, the old uh, pro art with all the gold gilt and the red plush and the, the beautiful ceiling with the twinkling stars and, and don't even talk about the foyer, you know, the marble and oh, they're just so, so ornate, uh, how they used to make theatres in the olden days. Uh, but that's the kind of theatre we usually do. Now, this is Burswood Casino. This is a huge modern crown uh, owned by the Packer family, you know, state-of-the-art casino. Um, so, and we're here in a very wealthy state of w, uh, Western Australia. So uh, the stage is so big, they have a system by where they put the VIPs on the stage. So there's going to be... Um, both sides, the first two wings are going to be condemned and there's going to be table seating and probably a little couple's tables uh, all on the stage, right, right beside us. And <laughs> Michael's, Michael said to me, oh, I hope you're okay with this, but um, there's going to be people on stage. And, look, I've been working in Germany in the Spiegel tents and some of the small variety theatres throughout Germany, and I've seen it done there, and it's a really quirky, strange thing to do. But I was sort of primed for that idea, and it does give that intimacy. Actually, when I was in Vegas last, I saw Baz, and they do that there. Also mm. a vast stage, you know. There's a way of sort of decorating the stage with uh, partygoers. So you're, when your producer had every, any, everything in a container, that's the costumes. Were there sets? Props, everything he needs, yeah. Oh, my gosh. That would have, that's a lot. And mm. he did it so quickly. That's crazy. Okay, so he's got all that ready to go and then just loads that onto this casino stage. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's oh, also okay. got other shows. So he'll come over here and he'll do what he does as a resident in Melbourne. He'll try and sell uh, multiple shows. So he's got his Vegas extravaganza. He's got his Magical Mystique show. You know, he's got a few shows. So he just put everything in uh, and uh, hopefully he'll be able to um, sell those after this one goes on, um, making sure, you know, this is going to be pretty successful for him. It'll, it'll create a precedent for him. They'll trust him and because he's unknown to them over here pretty much uh, other than we did a... We did do Perth um, twice before, but once again at the old Civic Theatre, which is a different company. So people in Perth haven't seen this, but they know of it, or are they just so happy to see a show and they see the, the brochure is beautiful. Were they familiar with this kind of show or is this something just, this seems so exciting when everybody's been home without entertainment. I don't know. I don't know why they, we have been here twice before, but because Australia is, it's a small country in the sense of population and we only have few towns and we only do the major cities. So we spread it out over years. You know, that's why I've been doing this show for seven years and I haven't done it in a year. So uh, it's really sparsely set out. Over the year, we could possibly do full max of five weekends, you know, so, and those weekends usually go to sort of Sydney, Melbourne, Adelaide, the major cities. Uh, we go to New Zealand sometimes, but um, we did come here. Usually leave it a year at the, at the least, sometimes two years, you know, so you're not getting a bit too repetitive. 
Mm-hmm. But um, now it's coming into the casino. It's sort of a different clientele. Uh, and yeah, there's a, there's a very vibrant cultural scene here from what I can detect already. I've been here a little while and I can start to see that it's really, really switched on place. And there's also WAPA here, WAPA, Western Australian uh, Performing Arts. And they turn out the big guns. You know, that's where uh, your musical theatre kids come from. So it's a really hugely respected school in Australia and in the world. So in Australia, we have NIDA in Sydney, who produced the likes of Mel Gibson and Chris Helmsworth or whatever. And then in Victoria, we have the VCA, uh, one of your ex-Bluebell girls, Amanda Rickard, her daughter went to VCA and uh, she's a famous actress now by the name of Elizabeth Debecki. And she, you might have seen her in the movie The Great Gatsby, looking just like her mum, actually. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Tall, elegant, sleek uh, actress. And, and then in the Western Australia, there's WAPA. So these are the major three uh, musical theatre schools. So there's a lot of talent here, a lot of culture, a lot of arts, and people are primed for it. And like I said before, there's a lot, there's a lot of wealth because this is a mining state there's heavy industry and this heavy industry is is propping up australia right now financially mm. economically speaking it's yeah. the reason why we're we're afloat yeah <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah it was like the context of there's this show going on but also covid is still happening economic downturn and people are just yeah beside themselves and so it feels like a beautiful thing to offer. So you said the crate, and I know the crazy horse just opened in Paris last weekend. And then there's one other show and there's you. So there's three in the whole world. Cause like you said, you'll well, know because you all know, everybody knows what's happening. So, yeah. We're uh, all interconnected and we all, we, you know, we're all so pumped for those shows that have been able to start. You know, we're like, for example, one of our boys who has been working with us on this cabaret, he's our regular boy. Um, he finally got his dream job in the Royal Palace in Alsace in France. And uh, he, I saw him just a few weeks back and he said, well, I'm going to France. So I just wanted to see you before I go, you know, in case you want to give me some advice. I said, you're going? What, what's happening? And he said, no, it's, it's starting up. Um, it's going ahead. I couldn't quite believe it in France, you know. Um, so he just started this week. So... And he's one of our regular boys. So him and us and then our Crazy Horse sisters, uh, I'm not sure how they're starting because Paris is in what they call a red zone. Uh, it's pretty hot there, but it's, small, it's a small cast, so I guess they can make it work. And I guess it's a, the scenario which makes these shows possible. It's not just the show. It's the scenario around it which is yeah. making things possible. And these are three shows which have a scenario that works for them. Wow, yeah, because you had to quarantine, but also, but they really, it, you said it kind of looks like life is normal there, that you're not seeing people in masks, you're not, you're seeing people out living their life. And that, to me, that just feels like, what does that look like? <laughs> what does that look like to just see yeah. people just living their life? No, it's, I mean, I've come from Queensland, which isn't a bad state either. We've become, uh, pretty good uh, people are really out and about doing now we attach to new south wales which is a 
very busy populated state and they have the potential to sort of mess us up if you like mm. by um by traveling but there still has to be passes for every state border crossing and uh, they're pretty strict about it and they're pretty good at managing it so right now the only state which is completely locked out is victoria and um they're in a bad way so so coming here, I've quarantined. I am quarantining. I'm in day 11 of my solitude. <laughs> and um, my producer, bless him, he's picked up an apartment, which is very comfortable size for me. It's got a kitchen and an ensuite and a laundry and an office. And uh, my producer's next door to me. So we have a balconies with about a three meter space between them. And we have afternoon drinks. <laughs> together <laughs> love that love that so wow so then when do you it's so you open next weekend right yes yes so well, we've yes can you tell like what the structure of the show is like what the what the frame like what the show is going to be and then even the lead up of okay ready set go like how much that is getting the cast together because I saw the video of the auditions which was really fun yeah, the, pro- the show, maybe the show structure, what it is. And mm. those of us who've done these shows can picture it. And those who haven't yeah. might need a little extra help. But then, yeah. The well, you have to it consider going. it's a show that's been going for seven years. And we have it all on video, uh, all the rehearsal videos. And so it started out just as an event. Uh, and we thought it was only going to be a one-off event. Because in those days, everyone was sort of uh, had this sort of way of saying that our showgirl shows are over we don't want them anymore this isn't probably going to work uh but if you want to give it a go knock yourself out and so michael went into his residential casino uh with what was going to be a one-off event and it jagged people loved it and it just gave him the momentum to keep going and it's all sold out everywhere we go every time we do it. So the whole story about us being has-beens and it's all over, I don't know who makes that stuff up, but it's hmm. just not true because Good. people actually sell out. We, they love it. They come by droves and I think what's happened, Sherry, is we've become what they like to call in marketing a revival show. Mm. Hmm. So as much as we don't really feel it's a revival show because it's our reality, right? we don't mind if that's what it means to get people there. We talk about old world glamour. We talk about old-fashioned showgirl, um, a burlesque extravaganza. So these are the termin- this is the terminology and whatever it takes really. And because we go into the old civic theatres usually, which, as I said, really ornate and beautiful and plush, the theatre itself lends to the era of what they're talking about, this old school era, this old fashioned glamour. And so when you see our pretty little show in that, that setting, it really lends. And we do beautiful photographs in the foyer and, and things like that just to capture that atmosphere because uh, that's when the Moulin Rouge and the Lido and all those places came to life was in that period. So we've become like a period show. But so as as far as getting ready for the the show goes, the video goes out to the girls and uh, they usually just learn as much as they can 
from watching it and then they do a one week rehearsal uh, once they're all together and we go on. Uh, so that's pretty much what has happened here. The only difference here is we don't have one single uh, member of the cast who has already done it. So we usually oh. have a, a couple of tieovers. Yeah, it's this brand new cast. So it's a full brand new cast. And wow. that's a little bit tricky because you don't have the older girls sort of saying, well, this is a super quick change and you've got to hot foot it to your dressing room and be back or whatever. Um, yeah. So, yeah, yeah so uh, this is a new cast and, and uh, I can't even help them because I'm stuck in here. And uh, the girls are sort of having to sort of make do by themselves and without real, any real sort of sisterly love. And they're learning it off the videotape. Uh, so rehearsal, rehearsal tape that it's like counts yeah. and all that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So the, the choreography has been given, given to a, a dance school lady and she's sort of in charge of being the captain of it and she's been running the rehearsals, so it's all been put on her. She's actually nine months pregnant and doing this. Oh, wow. <laughs> that just adds to the story in such a good way. <laughs> she's been pushing through. So they've done sort of one or two rehearsals over the past month, based apart. And then this week they're hotting it up by coming in every day and now putting some costumes on. So the costumes are all in the dance studio at the moment and being spruced up by the dance mums and tried on by the dancers and uh, they'll, have, they'll have as good a go at it as anybody. But, That's going to be um, yeah. so exciting. So when you did the audition, were these girls – were they familiar with the style? Like, did you go in there and, and really see the difference of who was going to ca capture this style and this finesse? Because I just feel like the way dancers train now, it's not necessarily ready to go into this kind of show. So I'm just curious, even the audition, were you surprised or? Yeah, I was surprised worried? because <laughs> everyone's out of work right now. So all of those fantastic uh, professional dancers who were all around the world they're all at home. So all the Perth people that I mentioned that came out of these great schools, they're all here. So we had the bee's knees at, at this audition and I was astonished. We had one problem where we didn't know how to pick because there were too many good girls. Oh, that's great. Yeah, you said there's some really, Mulan dancers as well? I believe there's five ex-Mulan girls and there's two ex-Cruise girls and so on and so forth. Um, yeah, the casting, as always, is primo. I'm, I call myself the casting queen because I get it right every time. And I have done it for years. I've got this real, real, um, it's not a knack. It's just I'm super fussy about who comes into the show. And so uh, myself and whoever's taking care of the captaincy at the time, because that changes up sometimes. Uh, we, we pick the dancers and then we hand them over to the producer who then has to solidify what he needs to make the show go ahead as far as talent-wise. So he's looking at the fine-tuning of the cast in uh, there's a bit of toplessness, so he needs to find those girls who are going to go topless he needs a magician's assistant, so she has to be a very specific shape and frame. 
Um, we need uh, a tallie to carry one of the larger costumes. Uh, all these sorts of more specific things. So we give him the bulk of the cast of the final cut, which at this point I think we had 12. And, um, and then he has to find the pole act um, and whatever other talent he needs for the show as well. So, so final call is with him, yeah. So what is the show? What, what is it like a big opening? Or does it have a, a, a storyline or a theme? Or a, what, yeah, what is when, the show feeling? When Michael reached out to me to do this show and with Todd Patrick, he actually, as a producer and as, as sort of a, an, he's an illusionist, he didn't really have a full understanding of how to, to put this type of show together. So with Todd and myself, we just made it really clear. We said, well, you've got a feather opener and a feather closer. Those two things have to be there. So uh, after that, we can obviously do the staples, which are your sort of kick line routine, um, your can-can. And um, we wanted to do our own version of the show. Todd, he wanted to do what he wanted to do. And I wanted to do what I wanted to do. So I brought my so-called acts in, which were songs that I do, uh, routines that I've done before in my one-woman show. And I also brought in things that I've just been hankering to do for a while. What's, yeah, what have you been hankering to do? Because it's interesting you've done so much and near to place in your career and that you, you know your stuff. Like you can do what you want to do. So what does that look like when you done so yeah much. so well the show uh the show is sort of a slower pace let's say than the big shows just because we have so few people so it has to have a little bit of a more slower beat you know what I mean because uh, there's only eight dancers and then myself and then the illusionist so it's a little bit more stretched in its pace uh feather openers or you know when the curtain goes up and the people see that first red cut red curtain it sort of splits and mm. then they see all of that red goodness in there you know the feathers and the long skirt the legs the crowns the the backpacks and then they go ah you know and then they sort of it's almost as though the audience has seen enough already yeah it's it's that good you know it's that mm. wholesome so uh once that sort of feather routine's underway then that's my introductory um piece and I come out and do my song and introduce the show and then we start to get into the illusion act and uh and then I sort of simmer it down into a little bit of a more burlesque pace now Michael's been able to acquire over the years of his knowing lots of ex um show producers in the older days the 60s and the 70s and the 80s in Australia um, so he's, he's acquired some beautiful jeweled pieces and um, we present those as sort of relics almost, you know, like showbiz relics. Yeah. And so the two, the two girls, there's only two of these costumes, so the two girls do um, a sort of a burlesque sort of semi-nude costume. It's just, yeah, it's just the jewels. It's just the underwire bra and the crown and the, and the jewel G-string and... Um, and he's just put a beautiful pheasant feather coming out of the crown, you know, just so simple and sophisticated. Yeah. And they wear these huge heels and it's so gorgeous. And I have one of those um, sort of 
very femme fatale costumes with a long, long, long black velvet cape and the underside is red velvet and, um, and I'm sorry, red satin. And I'm throwing that around. You know how you have to skillfully throw your, your train <laughs> so that it lands just in the right position and all that sort of stuff. So we go into that. And then, um, then I sing mostly in French uh, just to keep everything in French. I, when I speak, I speak in both languages. So it really sets the tone. Uh, and then we go into sort of the stretched out can-can sort of review. It's not just a can-can. It's got so, lots of elements to it. And it's actually got a commercial upbeat a modern vibe to it, which is really clever of the choreographer, the way he's done that. And it's a lot of fun. So he's made a can-can stretch over good eight minutes. And, uh, and then they do the can-can, of course. So that's the first half. And I'm not, I'm just explaining it because I know probably no, no one's ever so, going to see this. So. Yeah, no, it's so, I, yeah. it helps us just to get excited and see it in our minds. Like, oh my gosh, mm. it's still happening. <laughs> And then in the, the second, then we have an interval because that's what the venues always require as an interval. That first half is only 50 minutes. Uh, in the interval, we play French music over the front of house. So it's all very Café de Paris vibe out there. And the ladies all dress up and, and people come in, in sort of little feathered costumes themselves. You know, there's a big burlesque revival here in Australia. So all the burlesque girls come and, and the girls come to watch the girls, really, mostly. It's, it's a very feminine audience, mm. uh, which is nice. And so the second, second half opens with the Feather Fan number, which is just everyone's dream. And once again, if they didn't go ooh at the start, well, then they really lose it, the audience, when they mm. see this <laughs> setup. That's kind of when the red, the red curtain opens once more. So... Um, yeah, and the choreographer, once again, he's set it up so it's just a feather extravaganza, all the shapes and everything, and then one girl's featured and they're all wearing these sweet little black latex and black sheer leotards with bugle bead fringing mm -hmm. and gloves. So they're very sweet and obviously the principal's in white. So um, they do that. And there's a lot of little cute little tricks in it. So when, for example, when the, the feathers all close in on the principal girl, she gets lifted up by the boys who you cannot see. So she's floating above those feathers, you know, and people can't see the mechanics of all that. So it's super yeah. cute. Uh, so after that, then I come on in my mum. This is the thing I was hankering to do that I was mentioning before. I come on my, my Lena Dietrich man suit. My top hat and tails so uh -huh. really really also harking back to a bit of Ron Lewis here as well which I've always adored and wanted to yes. do something like that so uh, Diane McDonald used to wear the white top hat and tails in six and come out of the top hat with the boys and I've always wanted to do something androgynous as well like that uh, so I come out and I, I do my routines mostly with my boys of which I've got two or three boys and then we slip into a really slow, bluesy, burlesque strip. So it settles down into taking off the top hat and then the bow tie and then the scarf and then the jacket and the 
pants, you know, and it, it sort of really stretches out. I love it. It's my favorite part of the show. And the audience just responds because they've got that time to sort of think what's going to happen next. And then I look at them, I wink at them, and you get a lot of reactions. And uh, gee, it's a nice little piece. I love it. And the burlesque crowd go crazy for that. Mm. So, and then trickery of that is that I end up in a dress, which nobody sees coming. Oh, so, awesome. so I, fi- I finish fully dressed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that's fun. It's like, um, oh, and then another sort of O oh from the audience. So then I get into my audience participation. So I do a, a dance game with the men, which is hilarious. And uh, I bring them up and we just, I get them to sort of magic mic a bit. And, you know, <laughs> you can imagine the audience are just loving that. Yeah. And we choose a winner and that all happens. And then for me, the highlight, the absolute highlight of the show is the next part, which is a, is a, a little stool routine with the girls in the most delightful costume. Uh, the, the designer is Kathy Boyd and, gee, she's got a lovely way about her costumes. They're so sweet. Um, I might post a photograph of this um, yeah. routine. So they come out with their teeny tiny little stools and their huge heels and they're so chic with their hair back and their cute little costume and it's just a strut number. It's a strut and it's legs and this is where the training comes in because we get the best girls and we need the best legs and it's a hard routine in the sense that they have to really, you know, crank those legs high and is that, hold did, did you send me a picture of that it looked like they're in stairs and their legs are extended out when you sent me yes yes i yes, just yes. remember that the, even the composition of that picture and those legs it was oh, like that that got yeah, stunning picture like okay yeah they, they go gorgeous lines yeah they're tall girls they're ballet trained and and they've got long legs and further to that and this was a little bit of a funny thing when i met michael he went out and he bought what I call stripper shoes. Now, I said to him, I'm not sure if I want those types of shoes in this show, Michael. Um, You've got to be careful what you buy. You should have sort of spoken to me about it before Um, because I bring my shoe collection to this show so that everyone's in the right shoe. But then when when he sort of put some bling down the back of the heel, he blinged the full back of the heel. They're on a small platform. The heel is, I'm not kidding you, it's got to be four to five inches. Four. <laughs> and these girls' legs and this particular way the routine's done. So it's not a, it's not a step-intensive routine. It's, on the, it's seated. It's a little bit of strut. It's very much just an acting routine. And, and when I saw them do it in those shoes, I was just converted. It was absolutely the right choice to have them in mm. those, what, mm. those shoes. And um, you'll see why in the photograph. So, yeah, I can't say enough about that routine. I just ache for it. And every single time the girls do it, they do it to perfection. It has to be, like, tied together with string. There's absolutely no room for one fingernail out of place. And the girls just eat it up, you know. I show them videos back um, of their rehearsals and they get in there and they go and they pick it apart, the tiniest little thing, the shoulder lift, the angle of the head, the fingernail, as I said, 
and the leg and the timing of everything. It's unbelievable how tight these girls do this routine and it has to be that way. Yeah. So then that goes on to the finale coming up. So we've got, um, I do a number of other songs as well. Uh, I do a beautiful song by Lara Fabian, who is a huge star in France. She's sort of a Celine Dion um, type singer. It's a hard song, but um, Michael does his levitation allusion to it and it just gives it so much gravitas, that beautiful song. And we do it in a sort of a gothic, sexy way. Mm. And, um, yeah, and then the finale coming up, um, once again, the choreographer's done a really great contemporary, well, actually it's commercial routine, um, which is super high energy and super latest fashion of choreography. Uh, So once again, not what you'd necessarily expect, but uh, he wanted to get his uh, hankerings out the way and so did I. Uh, And then we go into the pole dancer, which we do a beautiful costume for her. Um, Once again, just to separate what people think about pole dancers usually, bring her into our show, dress her the way we dress people, Um, with a super elegant um, flesh-coloured bikini, beautiful cut, all bedazzled and jewelled. So she's basically just a, a, yeah, flesh and jewels. Wow. Not unlike my finale costume. So the whole thing, finale is going towards this flesh and jewels. Yeah. So that natural, just pure. And very sleek updo you know, which is different for pole dancers. Usually they're thrashing and bashing and we have a ballet trained um, pole dancer so that we see that the lines are the right lines and it's not at all done in a sort of sexual way like pole routines usually are. It's done in a more elegant classical way. Mm. And then um, and then we turn into my magic illusion. So I, uh, I pop out of a box dressed in my finale costume so it's a magic illusion. And then I do my, my famous PF medley. So with all of those mm. really well-known or maybe you've heard of them, French yeah. songs, yeah. that at the end of the day, I think people are starting to be much more aware about all French songs and chansons and who PF was after the movie especially. And they're not so estranged by it anymore. And so they feel like they're having a real you know, cultural experience, which they are, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. And then we finale, then we finale, but then we just smash it with white feathers and jewels, you know, and bows and, yeah. Bring the whole thing. Because I think, you know, even the contrast of not being able to see, this might overwhelm people. They might just fall off their chairs because if we haven't (laughs) seen anything, like people are living on Netflix and to see something live and the spectacular it, it just feels like the appreciation will probably be even more than before because when we think like that's why the whole thing of our podcast and different things people didn't preserve the art but to think oh it's still there like and maybe the appreciation will be even more so yeah. we can't just bring something little like what we've been going through the last few months it feels like bring all the feathers and the glitter mm. and the, and I love yeah. being said the hankering there's things you go why not like why not do the, the songs and things I've always wanted to do? Because now you get to have the say, which I'm sure for years is fun to have somebody mm. else, you know, 
give you something to do. But when you get to do at the age and the profession and mm. the right that you have to do it and get to do what you <laughs> want to do and you don't have to kick your face anymore if you don't want to and you don't have to like <laughs> yeah. run, run and, and uh, no, that's this. right. I mean, the whole the whole experience for me has been liberating because uh, like you said, I used to always have to sort of have permission. Oh, just I'm going to grab that door. That's my producer now, Michael. He's just bringing me groceries. I'll be two seconds. <laughs> oh, he's so funny. He can probably say a little hello as well, but from yes, a distance. Yes, hello, producer Michael. <laughs> Are you standing back? Oh, you look nice and fit today. Say hello. We're live on a podcast. Hi. Hi, Michael. So excited about this show. Tell us a little bit about yourself, Michael. I'm an illusionist. I'm the producer of Cabaret à Deux Paris and a dear friend of Marissa Burgess. We've known each other now probably a good 15 years plus. You can't hear her, but she can hear you. That's I good to know. You. Um, what else can I say about myself? We're here loving Perth. I'm Marissa's neighbour. I've just done our grocery shopping. <laughs> <laughs> and we look after She's each talking other. to you. Yeah. I can't hear you, honey, but... Sorry, I can't, I can't really take it out because... That's no, that's okay. That's podcast. okay. Anyway, I'll, I'll leave you groceries. The only thing All I right. didn't get was the big bag of oranges because I had to... Oh, thank you so much for looking Stand after there. me. He looks after me. Thank you. I'll talk to you in a minute. Yeah, yeah. Look how crazy it is outside. Huh? How crazy is on the balcony? Yeah, they're having parties across the way today. It's, it's the weekend. <laughs> oh, it's Oktoberfest. <laughs> thank you for my groceries, Mr. Producer. Bye. Sorry about interrupting. No, that was a nice podcast. little. That was a nice little uh, extra to pick. I wanted to picture it. him. Yeah, I'm so I'm sanitizing now. You see. Yeah. Oh my. Yeah. The fact that you're like you still have to take the precautions, but you're still gonna do this, not just after the pandemic's over, but in the midst of it. Yeah. And I think I even some this of the reason. Yeah, that's like trusting that things are gonna be clean, like not being in your own home. I and I think sucker. <laughs> <laughs> I think some of the reason I got a little because I was in the middle of putting my own show together. Um, it was a Parisian cabaret show because after the reunion, I got so inspired, and I had never been so excited to put something together as I was for that show. And we and I had a great cast. We started the rehearsals. I was getting the costumes together, and then mm. COVID hit. So I would just go, I go up there once and I look at the costumes. I want to cry because it feels like oh, you know boy. it might be months, it might be years. So hearing that there's th there's movement things happening and it I don't know yeah. just kind of it helped it need I need to be re-inspired because like I'm just looking at all the costumes all the work and we look at the videos and you know yeah. first we thought it was going to be a few months and like okay there's going to be Whoa. a pause but when it comes back we're going to be so thankful for it yeah and maybe I we'll love new ideas too like maybe you know like this is a time to to reimagine and like instead do I, I think do we do have to stop and reimagine because um when you're going along, you can get very involved in what other people are doing. And when we did this show, that's precisely what we didn't do. We just did what we wanted to do. And once again, Todd, um, he'd been around the traps, knows his stuff. He had a very beautiful um, professional school, very big school, biggest school in Melbourne. He's the um, choreographer. The, yeah, and he had all of these um, opportunities to put small entertainment routines into the Crown Casino. 
which is part and parcel of that sort of um, big school thing. You know, you do it with your full-timers and those graduating full-timers so they get professional experience. Uh, so he was doing that anyway. And I guess he had a number of things that he wanted to do and the costumes were being created for it. I brought my collection of costumes, which is the white feathers and the bling bikinis. That was my contribution. I brought my own um, dresses for the most part, my suit, you know. So if we didn't have, Michael had been producing for years. He's been doing all manner of productions over the years and he had feather costumes. But the only reason why this thing could actually happen was because we brought our personal gear to it. Ah, yeah. Because if we had to start from scratch with no budget for costumes, we couldn't have done it. Yeah. So, yeah, Michael's got these uh, beautiful crowns that used to be in the Folie Berger in Paris in the 60s. And um, oh. so they're the real deal, right? And they shine like the first day. And so he's able to really put them where they ought to be in a French show. Um, so that's the reason why this show sort of started out with a bang. And I've never seen, a, you know, I was always a little bit reserved about doing a show in Australia because Australians don't really get it. And I'm talking about seven years ago when they really didn't get it. And we've had a big drought between 1986 when the feather shows that I used to do stopped until now there hasn't been a feather show not just a feather show you know not, not just a Parisian show there's been shows that my sister did over many 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 years at the casino in Gold Coast where we live but those weren't necessarily feather shows those were sort of semi uh, how would you say musical theater slash feather slash variety it was a bit of a mashup type of mm -hmm. production uh, not sort of pure to any one thing but it was a good variety show and people really enjoyed those shows because it's it sort of lended to most types of tastes but to just put on, put on a straight pure feather show no one's done it since 1986 so we knew what we wanted to do, choreographer and myself, we knew exactly what we wanted to do. Michael is a smart man. He listened to us. He understood that it's not necessarily his thing, but he'll, he'll um, enable us to do what we need to do to make it happen. And, um, and so I've never seen a show start out so well. It's virtually the way it is today as it was on its first ever appearance on that one-off event that we were supposed to be doing uh it was that good and when I went into rehearsals I was worried a little bit not so worried because I knew it was Todd but I thought what's this going to be oh what if it's not quite true to spec you know and when I just saw it and the girls that were in it I thought I'm home absolutely mm. home I'm home oh. in my own home yeah. yeah to do it and yeah not to have to go to other countries to do it well yeah. I can't remember if you said if we said it in the in what we recorded or before how just there's nobody in the show that did it before maybe we I can't remember if I said it before but before you've had somebody who did the show before and they could pass it on to the younger ones about the quick yeah. changes but this is a brand new cast they must be just ecstatic even though like you said you've got professionals that have done it before just to be able to 
to I have think something that's to gonna work really, on. Yeah, I think it's going to really render on stage just how, well, obviously fresh they are to the show. You know, it's always nice to have brand new cast, um, but also the fact that they're getting to be back on stage again um, when they really have nothing on the horizon. And also Michael's staying here in Perth and there's going to be possibly more work with him for these people and these professionals, you know, and stuff like that. So they've got a, a bright future ahead of them here in Perth because of Michael and stuff. I'm just going to just quickly open up this bag for you, just have a quick look. I'm not going to pull it all out because it took too long to pack. Oh, my God. But um, this okay, is my... People listening can't see this, but I, oh, my gosh. This is definitely a girl who's done shows. Look at all that sparkle. So I can... these are my gowns. Um, these are my singer can... gowns. Yeah. I imagine if your if your um, suitcase got open at the airport, like, like you must have <laughs> Wow, are these yeah. costumes that you've had made, or because these are divine? Yeah, I've had some made. This was made. This I made. This I made. This I had really? made. Really? Oh my yeah. gosh! Multi talent. I, I just want what I want. And I'll always remember seeing Doris Day in Ten Cents a Dance. Um, with Jimmy Jimmy Cagney was it mm-hmm. and she sang and she had this bugle bead dress on 10 cents a dance that's what they pay me and she sang that song with these oh, bugle beads gorgeous. and I said I have to have that I have to have yeah. that I just and so oh. I did them all myself that's before you could buy them ready-made but this show is another show <laughs> I have another show to tell you about that's not the cabaret that's my own cabaret. Oh, so that's really? That's my one-woman show, yeah. So Michael, being a whiz producer that he is, he's gone out here networking like no other because he's good for that. <laughs> <laughs> you heard him before. You can get the vibe. Yeah. And, and uh, he's gone out when he arrived here and he's found this amazing jazz club called the Ellington, after Duke Ellington, of course. And uh, he's gone in there and he's talked me up. And lo and behold, they've given me a date. And they don't know me from a bar of soap, but <laughs> I figured, you know, this was my, you know, my calling card was the, the fact that I'm filling up the casino for four days. Uh, for four yeah. days. <laughs> That's a good reason. And so we, we were good to go. But they gave me a date. So I'm, uh, as I was leaving, he said, Dals, put in some extra frocks and some gear because I've got a date for you. And, um, and I said, what are you talking about? He said, oh, there's a jazz club. You can sing at it. And so we're just trying to establish what it is they want me to do. And it's basically my original one-woman show, which in, in essence is the genesis of this show. Really? Wow. Do you feel me? So yeah, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna pair it back to what it was originally my one woman act, which many of the routines ended up in the big show in a more mm-hmm. ex, you know expanded way. I would love so. to see both of those. I would love to see the feathers, but also you did post a picture of you. I saw the Ellington on something that you posted, and I'm like, I love that kind of vibe, like that smaller. Mm. Oh, personal. Like I, if I could somehow get myself to Australia, cause I'm not allowed <laughs> to leave the America ever. <laughs> um, and I'd want to see both of those. Cause I just feel like I would be an emotional 
I would be jubilant mm. and just want to cry because I'm just would be so happy to see this well, in existence and that people are getting to enjoy this, even though I'm be jealous, we can't, I'm just so happy that it's happening. <laughs> and then after just getting to meet you through the podcast, I'm just so happy for you that you've had this long career and it's still going and, and you get to, you know, put on those sparkles yeah. and just get out there and do it how you want to do it. How I want to do it. Yeah. Well, it's a lot of hard work because I haven't done Cabaret de Paris now in one year. So, I mean, obviously the pandemic's been going on for me since January mm. and we're already in October. But prior to that, we had done Cabaret de Paris, um, I guess in Canberra or somewhere, I can't remember, but uh, now it's going on one year. So I can't sort of, it's, it's been a really hard year for just keeping fit for no reason at all. Now, right. if you're young and you're not injured and you haven't got lots of problems like I do um, from my years of smashing out my shows in Paris, um, that's probably not so difficult to keep in, in shape. But I'm having a lot of trouble keeping in shape, especially with no carrot dangling in front of me. Mm. And, um, and the will to do it is just not there um as as I get older it's sort of like well, why am I bothering with all this fitness all the time when the shows are so sparsely separated and dates and and there's so few opportunities um one of the the, the reason I do this really I really do this is so that the girls can work mm. um honestly me there was a time when I could not look at one more photograph of me dressed in white feathers I was so saturated by this image. Um, it sounds it sounds ungrateful, but you know, eighteen years I was that, and I wanted to sort of reinvent myself and and sort of morph into something else and try these new things that I've been wanting to try for so many years when I've been committed to this singular image, and so for Michael to come and drag me back into it. I kind of was not really willing um, to yeah. do so. I wanted to present a different way, but I know that for the sake of um, for the sake of sales and getting this show up and running, uh, people want what they want. They want jewels and feathers, and uh, the girls have to have to have work. So all of those girls who go overseas and have great careers and maybe come, come back home, they've got something to do, uh, albeit it's not very often, but they've got this lovely show to be in. And every so often we pick up, for example, in this show, we're picking up one girl who's on her way to Paris or was on her way to Paris, very, very highly qualified, beautiful girl. And um, although she's not as experienced as the other ones are who are all coming back, she's uh, going to have a great resume, you know, have this on her resume and a great experience for, for her to take to Paris when she eventually gets to go. So we have the both. Mm, but, mm. Um, but we really don't ever attempt to take a non-show girl and adapt. We don't have time to do that. It's too big a ask. Yeah. And as, as we all know, it doesn't just happen in the space of a week. And if it's because the show is so small, only eight dancers, they all have to essentially be a principal dancer because there's no second row. 
Yeah. Wow. And that's like that there's that many qualified dancers in Perth is pretty amazing because I think I, it might, I think you had told me when I asked about what it was about the Aussies, like that naivete because hello Hollywood, the show I was in, I think it might've been a third Aussies. And I just always thought their technique was amazing. They had so much energy. They had a, a different sparkle on stage. And so like, there's so much, but that Perth, yeah, you've got, mm. you don't have to go searching for professionals. Cause that's the thing when I was trying to do a show, like I, you can't just put jazz dancers in those pieces. You don't have time. And that's, time. A, that, that's the harder part of the training. Like, yes, you can do a beautiful, you know, triple pirouette, but that, mm. that's not going to sell that. There's so much more yeah. that really takes way more time to well, develop. And put it this way, um, amongst Australians, Perth is known to have the upper edge on the rest of Australia. Really? Mm, it's always been huh. a bit of a thing. Yeah. When we were in Lido or Moulin or wherever and someone said that they were from Perth, we were like, oh, okay. <laughs> All <laughs> right. <laughs> Watch out. Wow. Perth girls. There's something about being in an isolated place. Uh, there's probably a great deal of, you know, there's not opportunity. There's maybe some hardship. I don't know what it is, but the, the more difficult the journey, the better the dancer in, or any artist for that matter, the more difficult the journey, the better the mm. artist. And we've seen that with everybody, right? Um, mm-hmm. Everywhere we look, it's like that. I was adjudicating on a on a, a great bigger Stedford or dance comp. It's probably the biggest dance competition in Australia, um, if not the world, uh, because they go OS with it as well. But I, I adjudicated on it once, and there was also another reputation of the far north Queensland girls. Now these are people that live up in the in the cane fields and uh, the plantations, and for some reason they have these incredible dance schools who huh. churn out these amazing talents and they come down for these competitions and they're putting a lot of expense into just being there. Your families have to travel and be put up in hotels and all these things and invariably they win. And I remember handing a trophy over to this boy from Innisfail, which is in the African Tablelands, and, I mean, it is out of the way, this place. And uh, his teacher or his mom or someone was on stage with him collecting the trophy. And I said, what is it with you far North Queenslanders? And the woman piped up and she said, there's nothing else to do. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, that makes so much sense, though, because you just think, oh, it must be all in New York or it must all be in London. Like, well, there's already too much of that. Like, that, that's really fascinating. Yeah, it's where there's not. That's where the talent comes yeah. from. It's like P- Peter Allen was from this teeny tiny little far west Queensland town. Um, Peter Allen. Oh, man. I, I, I need mean, to come to Australia. Can you imagine that that man came from this? Can you imagine that personality being in this teeny tiny little country town out in the desert? <laughs> it's time to move on. I have a question for you because in the last interview, one thing that really stuck with me is like how much you pushed yourself. Like it was never quite enough. It was, it was, you were, you know, you'd watch the videos of yourself and on your day off, you'd go in and watch it again. Like you were such a hard still doing it now. (laughs) Okay. Well, I was wondering too, because I think that was one of my favorite parts of that interview was at the end when you do that photo shoot and you saw that photo. And I kind of think I guessed which one it was. 
but you said I'm happy with how I look because it's not just the how you look physically, but also how you where you were in life. That that hit me because you worked so hard to get there, and now I'm curious with you with having time off. You're not 20 years old anymore. Are you nervous? But I wonder if you have a little more grace for yourself because there is one. It's commendable to be a hard worker, but also like when you have that maturity. And you don't have to, you know, drop into the splits. Mm. You don't have to do those things. Like you have more that you can rely on that is just you. And also the yeah. way you talked about some of those principles that you idolized and not really quite understanding that you are that to all these other people. Like it's so weird when it's someone else like, nah, that's not me. But you, never going to be, you, never going to be. No, no, there's always going to be that unattainable, yeah, um, goal that, if you get the goal, then it's all over. So, no, I don't even want to have the goal. Um, I can only sort of say that I'm happy that I've had certain people who I respect say certain things to me which set me at ease mm. somewhat. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to say that make me feel reassured or cocky or anything like that, but they at least set me somewhat at ease. Um, and that's enough to go forward. One of those people is my husband, um, particularly hard taskmaster. And because he's my husband, he gets to be honest. Mm -hmm. And so the fact that he is honest um, and that he says what he says, I have to believe him. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and, and the likes of um, Diane and Belinda who have been so gracious with me. And I, I'm not going to believe just regular people who say, oh, you're wonderful, you're fabulous, you're beautiful. I'm like, your opinion really doesn't count to me. <laughs> Thank you. But yeah, 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 I don't know. It's terrible, isn't it? It's so bad. Um, now at this age, I'm 52. So now I've got another small dilemma on my hand is when I stop, when do I stop? When do I stop doing this? Or how do I change into the next version of this and and all these things are now my question because once again so my first transformation was from being a principal dancer and yes in that photograph I thought I've arrived I'm finally happy with what I've done here now I want to be the principal singer in a show and uh, that's what I've been doing ever since I left Moulin in 2003 I've, I've been um, the lead in a number of big extravaganzas, which fortunately was still going at the time. This is right before they all dropped off their perch. So big extravaganza in Gold Coast, Australia, um, Rhythm of the Night, Ball Productions, and then Odyssey, A Journey to Paradise in um, Korea, Sheraton Walker Hill, Dance Fantasy Productions, and then on a cruise ship, and then in a smaller sense, in a more intimate way, in the Spiegel tent. So all of that. Um, being the headliner singer. And now this, uh, which has been the cherry on the cake, because I, I literally thought it was all over. Um, Michael sort of pulled me out of retirement as far as I was concerned. He said, no, no, you're not retiring. I need you <laughs> to do more work. So, no. yeah, so now what happens next? I don't know. Is well, it more of the one-woman show? Perhaps that's where yeah. I'm going next. Mm. Well, you said that you're doing the white feathers. This is what you have been kind of only seen at, but that you were in a place where what I love the whole, like talking to some of these people, like, because we're on a pause, like, well, what would I do? 
what could I do? Because you probably have some say now of what you could make happen. And like, I'm just so curious because I heard about your dance training, but was singing part of your training or was that something like, do you take voice lessons? How did you emerge from being the a lead, a principal dancer to a singer? And I heard your voice yeah. on the video. I'm like, whoa, okay. That's a total lead singer. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> um, no, I, I never wanted to be a singer. I had no interest in it at all. Uh, until I saw Whitney Houston and then because she looked like a couture model and she mm. sang the way she sang and the, the beauty and grace and class of the woman and then I thought, okay, now I want to be a singer. So, mm. And this is all part of my one-woman show act, so I'm having a little rehearsal here. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I don't know if you remember when we were kids, uh, chanteuses or, you know, chanteurs that did chanson, they weren't looking like Whitney Houston. The ladies that sang the standards were Nana Mascuri, you know, Edith Piaf. Um, it wasn't your glamour girl that did yeah. that. So when I came to Moulin, Debbie de Coudreau was our lead. And the principal, uh, well, the, the, the star of the Moulin Rouge was always the black female, the black singer. Oh, really? Uh, oh. Right from right from back from Josephine Baker times. It had been a continuous string of black female singers who were the mm. stars of the shows and named so on the posters. So uh, when I arrived, it was Debbie de Coudreau who was with no I shoes on. Her. <laughs> yeah, she's a tall lady. Yeah. And she became my big sister. <laughs> <laughs> and she really nurtured um, that idea in me that I could also do it. And I thought, well, I can't do it. I'm not so tall and, you know, you need to be a really, really tall person. And um, obviously, even if I have Indigenous heritage, no one's ever going to pass me off as the black chick because that was what was the, the, the brief, the casting brief was that, mm. much as we had... Um, many cast members of people of colour all throughout the cast, the, the lead had to be, um, yeah, in Europe that's kind of the way it is. It's actually worked against me um, on a few occasions um, because of that. So there's mm. been jobs I haven't gotten because I was not black. Mm. Uh, where, where, um, whereas uh, I, never, I never saw how I was ever going to fit that role. So leaving Paris seemed like a necessity hmm. if, if I wanted to sing in front of a big show. And, uh, and so I got this job singing, which was um, when I left Paris, when I left Moulin Rouge, I walked straight into the lead principal singer of another big show. What? <laughs> wow. <laughs> so it was my first job. So I trained for seven years with um, a really great uh, lyrical opera teacher in Paris actually Michelle Brown put me onto him and she's very mm. naughty because she never mentions her singing career very much but uh. Michelle <laughs> Brown was uh, definitely a leading lady in front of uh, big cabaret shows singing really? yes she's uh, too humble <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't mention much of that I but think she talked about she lives, it she lives like 20 minutes away from me so, so nice. we're when when quarantine is over, we're gonna go have a drink because it's like at the reunion. Yeah. Like, wait, not everybody's well, across the world for me. There's somebody that's like 20 minutes away. What? That's great. Well, I have Michelle Brown to thank and uh, for that, and also Debbie de Coudreau 
because Debbie finally left Mullen as well, and she got into Broadway in a big way. Really? So, oh yeah, yeah. She was uh, doing Grand Hotel with Lillian Montevecchi in London, in West End, and then she did The Showboat with a cast of 80 on Broadway, where she was oh. understudy to the role of Julie, who was held by, I don't remember her name, but she was the... Um, movie actress that did the cotton club with Gregory Hines and um, Richard Gere. I can't remember her name, but she was in the role of Julie and she never came to work. So Debbie did it pretty much for the entire duration of the run. So I got to be backstage with Debbie on Broadway for a lot. And she'd hold my hand and say, see, you can do that and you can do that and you should be learning that and you should audition for that. And she really made me think hell I could do this because you know when you're just taking lessons you don't really think you can do it but she said I could oh my gosh that comes up on almost every interview of there's somebody that said something that almost took that person out like something like you'll never because of this like that if you'd heard that but then there's the somebody who said it probably didn't even know how much it meant to them that changed the course that made you go I can do this and I I think that hearing that that you probably every one of us had somebody like that and that you're that person to somebody else and probably don't even remember saying it and that person's like no I'm doing this because you gave me permission or you gave me something that I needed to to have belief in myself so Mm. well there's that old saying where um when the student is ready the master will arrive and I think people can tell you again and again but until you're ready that statement never has a chance to click in and it did click in with her but apart from that I used to stand side stage when I was a nude in the line and I used to just look out of the corner of my eye at Debbie and the way she used her hands was different you know as a singer you don't do porta bras which are set and if you do you can plainly see that you're the understudy and to the singer (laughs) <laughs> because you're, you're, lip, you're lip syncing and you're copying or doing right. something that's not. Um, so Debbie had this these amazing, beautiful long fingers and she did her hands in a singer way and she stepped and walked in a singer way and she held herself not necessarily in pure bevel all the time and, and all these things. And I was fascinated by that natural. It, it didn't look awkward. She's wearing the big feather costume, but she broke from being like the dancers and even if she was a dancer and she worked with you uh, she was able to be the singer and I thought oh, I've got to learn how to do that that's not easy to do hmm. for a dancer. there is a number there is a number in our space piece uh there's space queen it was this huge uh mirrored headpiece like a, a hornet yeah. head and she, all it. she did oh yeah and all she did was like the way she moved I, heard, I remember her hands and how she, and that's so funny because that show was so long ago and I can still in my mind see how she moved and that is there's people that like oh that's really different and that, because it feels like you've been such a study of like you're backstage watching people but you know like I feel yeah. like people miss opportunities you know instead of just like give me what I'm supposed to do and I'll do it and there's all the stuff that happens in the wings there's things that are you mm. pick up but there's I just see dancers that somehow if it's no, not they're not interested they're not yeah. actually interested. That's but funny. The other day, there's an ex-show girl from Moulin Rouge. She used to be the girl that danced and swam with the dolphins. 
and she lives here now and I catch up with her every time I'm here. So um, I worked one year with her on my crossover when I was, leave, um, I was arriving and she was leaving. So um, she's quite a bit older than me. I think she's 62 or something now, but we always catch up when I'm here. And the other day, we can't catch up, but we've had long, long chats on cam like this. And she said to me, I'll, I'll never forget your first day at rehearsals or one of your first days at rehearsals. She said, you were this little mousy brown ballerina chick and sitting there with all the dancers waiting for your turn. And then a break came up and you were all released to go on a break. And she said, you were the only one that didn't go out for a hamburger and a coffee. You sat right where you were and you watched what was happening next, which was the principal rehearsal and oh, Debbie's my. rehearsal. And she said to me the other day, she said, I looked at you and I thought that girl's going to go far. That's what she oh. said to me the other day. <laughs> oh my God. Isn't that funny? So like cute you, that you remember that. Yeah. And how if she had told you that then it's different than like now when you can receive it. So yeah, we're going like, to, we're going to end up, we're going to finish this up here. Uh -huh. um, but I feel like I, I, I forgot we're recording. Cause I just feel like I'm hanging out with my friend in my house because it just feels so conversational. Um, when you think about next weekend, is there something that gets, gets you scared and there's something that gets you excited or it could be the same thing? Like when you picture what that's going to feel like, cause it's been a year. Right. Well, what just you speaking about it right now is making me feel anxious and a little bit nauseous. So uh, what I do, and this is what I've always done. And this is how I got through 18 years at the Moulin Rouge is I don't think about it. Really? I just live my life day by day, minute by minute, half hour by half hour, hour by hour. And if I even entertain the thought right now, I'm going to maybe vomit because really? the, if I think <laughs> about the fact that there's a poster around town with my name and face on it and that there's 4,000 people coming and that it starts and stops with me, there's not really a contingency. If I think about that, I'll just get too scared. So I mm. just don't. I just yeah. don't think about it. I'd rather not think about it. What I'll do is just I'll wake up, I'll have my two eggs and my orange and um, I'll just pack my bag and I'll do a little bit of a workout and I'll go to work. And mm. every second and every minute is a slow psych up to what will be the step on stage. But I can't think. And I've always been like that. I remember mm. even when I was at Moulin, um, if I woke up and for some reason entertained the idea of my entrance routine, which was this gut-wrenching routine which consisted of back thrashing, leg smashing, lifts, <sighs> crash, bang, bing, bang, boom, oh my God. 50 seconds of torture. Um, it was a torture, that routine, because I remember if I ever had to rehearse it with a new boy I'd say to them after a few years I got I got onto this framework I'd say to them you've got three goes at getting this right with me if you don't get it right in three goes you can start working on it with the, my replacement and after three goes I stop because it used to feel like the what's that windpipe like Oh, your yeah. whole esophagus it used to feel like your whole esophagus was being ripped out of your throat so oh my gosh 
I could do it once every or twice a night separately, but to do it back to back for the sake of a boy learning it, I couldn't. Good for you so, have to have a boundary though, because that's, yeah. Because yeah. they couldn't understand just how um, excruciating it was. So, and that was me at my height of fitness. So, um, yeah, so if I ever used to entertain the idea of that routine, if I woke up in the morning and thought about it, I'd actually get a little dry reach happen, like really? nerves. Yeah. Wow. So I never thought about it. I don't think yeah. about it. <laughs> wow. That's yeah. how I operate. <laughs> so, and then do you just kind of, you have your egg, you get your thing here and you get your makeup on and then do you just kind of step on and then it happens? Do you get butterflies or do you just kind of, I'm working and I'm just doing I a get, job? I get butterflies way too much now. Butterflies are really my enemy. As a singer, you're not to have butterflies and they're my enemy. So um, I have to mitigate, mitigate, mitigate all throughout the day um, not to get to that point of butterflies. So I'm having them right now just talking about it. Mm. So it's not it's something I can control. There is, for the life of me over the years, I've tried to find the meditation tool or thing that will work to help me get through it. But it's because I don't work every day. If I worked every day, I'd be fine. I don't yeah. get the butterflies every, every, anymore. But if I work once a year, then hell yeah, I've got butterflies and they go against me. So mm. I'll have a little sip of wine and I'll try and simmer down. I'll be ready early, but not too early because waiting right. around is not fun, you know, and it's, yeah, it's all about the timing. I make sure the stage manager knocks on my door at 15 and then at five. And then it's just, it's just all the timing of the day. Yeah. Uh, I hate, I hate the fact that I get nervy like a small kid. Um, it's so stupid, but when you get older, it gets worse. There's more at yeah. stake, I think, and then just for your body. And also, like, you have the name. It's not like you're anonymous in the group. I'd rather be anonymous. It was actually <sighs> nice being anonymous at the Moulin Rouge. You were anonymous. And so, yeah, you did have three, four, five re replacements. And um, there was always that comfort that came from that. But on this one, you know, um, I've been headlined and, yeah, it's not what I put my hand up for in the sense. I mean, yes, I want to be the lead of the show, of course, but but uh, at this point in time, that's how it is and I have to sort of, yeah. It'll be really good to have, with me and Michael, um, it'll be really mm. good to have um, four shows because by the second one I'll be sweet and I won't have that. Oh, yeah. When you get on the stage, do you hear the applause? Does it have an effect on you? Or is it like, ah, I've heard it before. Like when you hear the audience and you feel the energy does that shift you out of the nerves or is that even add more to it it potentially can add more to it um I don't I'm one of the rare people that I know that doesn't work for the audience mm. I work for me and um sounds selfish but I figure if I'm working to my standard and I'm happy with what I'm doing more or less uh, and and I have love and passion for what I do and it shows. So if that ain't enough, I can't help the rest. That's, that's the way I sort of operate. If you are in the audience and you witness somebody who is evidently in their absolute happiest place, 
Mm. you as an audience member will feel that too it will transmit and then yes I interact with the audience and we have one-on-ones and I and I spend a lot of time with the audience because I like to befriend them but it's not like I am doing it for them I'm doing it with them and for Mm. myself That's so, and, I, and the fact that you still get nervous and are honest, because I think that helps people to go, am I the only one that feels that? And then you have, even just right here, you're, you're in a hotel room. You're just so beautiful. Like, I feel like you, like, if this, you're not, you don't have, you don't have all the sparkle and you already have it. And so I think it is like that there is some of that, of that, of that knowing who you are and that wisdom that I could just see you stepping on the stage and just being like, I got this. It's got to be there. Yeah. You've got to know that you've put the work in. I think that most of it is just having put the work in. So I've been in this room working out now, um, really diligently watching my food and singing and just working out. So I always try and put in double or triple the amount of work that's really necessary. This Mm. is a really easy gig. This is a super easy gig for me. Like if I, I, I wish I had, I had this gig, in uh, my 30th year and yeah. I'd just be cruising through it. Right. It's a handful of songs in lovely costumes, all separated apart. It's not a difficult thing. So I, I have to over-prepare. If I over-prepare, then I'll feel like uh, I won't have that guilt, like, okay, girl, you didn't work hard enough and that's why you feel jittery or something. No, mm. I go on overprepared and, <laughs> and then hopefully um, I'll simmer down off my nerves pretty quickly and, uh, you know, I can't, you can't make an audience love, love the show. There's every potential that the audience won't like the show. There'll be people out there who won't like the show. They'll pick it apart. They'll write nasty letters. Mm. They're always going to be there. Um, all I can do is my hundred percent and make sure the audience can see that that's my hundred percent. That's all I've got. That's all I can do. Mm. I can't do any more than that. I'm bringing you thousand dollar costumes, you know, bringing $500 shoes and bringing everything I can bring to this. I can't do a thing more. If they don't like it, that's, it's not on me. It's just they don't yeah. like it. It's just their right. taste and everyone has their opinion. So, but if, um, if they're there for the right reasons and want to know what a showgirl show is because they've never seen one before and they've never been to, to one in, in Europe or in America, then they'll learn what it is from me because this is my version of it. It's our version of it. And if I say that's the way it is, that's because that's the way it is because I said so. And absolutely, you have done, yeah, you've been a professional for so long. If anyone gets to say this is what it is, that's you. Yeah. So So I was going to, I think um, I'm going to bump this episode release out sooner. So it will come out like after you've opened the show and then I'll, you'll probably have some new fresh pictures that we could add to that. And I think there's going to be so many people listening to this. It will be so happy for you. So happy for Michael. So happy for the audience and for these dancers that get to be a part of it because all of us are like, Oh, yay. It's going to happen for somebody. And oh yeah, God. it's really, it, it just felt like I had to reach out to you to do this because I was so happy to see 
it coming back to life. And I'm so happy that it's you after getting to meet you and, and your wonderful history. I'm so happy that it's you that gets to, to do this. Yeah, thanks. Look, I'm just happy for the dancers more than anybody. Uh, I really want them to have this opportunity. And I wish I could just go around and give every dancer this opportunity. Um, and we probably will continue as much as we can to do so. Uh, myself personally I'm kind of it's hard you know it's it's not easy to do this after a while my body's not appreciating it mm -hmm. I'm gonna have to walk around this apartment in my shoes soon just so my feet remember what that is oh yeah uh, and shoes and feet don't fit the same as I remember in my 20s I could run like every all of us ran I ran in my stilettos to stretch it and I I had I wear a kitten heel now and I want to cry because my feet hurt yeah and so yeah. yeah things spread and change and so yeah just That's the thought right. of putting those shoes on it's not the same you know it's what next show the next show you lay on a litter and you have handsome men with no shirts just carry you all over the stage and just sing laying down you've earned it you don't have to like <laughs> Wow, I go back to my idols and my inspirations. And yesterday I was watching Eartha Kitt do exactly that. She was on a litter and she was being carried. But let me tell you, she didn't just sit there by an idol. Her legs were going up and left <laughs> and right. And she was so felt and active and singing. And yeah, I don't think there's ever an easy way out. Because even if you want to just stand in the dress, in the heels, you know you've got to have done the full warm up. Mm -hmm. yeah you, ha you yeah. have to have done it so yeah, people think that that's an easy job they don't understand like what all goes into it so all of us that'll be cheering you on we know <laughs> and all, all of us that are over the age of 30 have mass respect for you because it's just like <laughs> keep keep going keep going keep going because it's you know it's it's really encouraging to see that that career can can and you can have a second change. life if you're singing in, in a yeah. showgirl show and I I always said I want to I want to grow up like uh, I want to be Lillian Montevecchi when I'm when I grow up. <laughs> I still say <laughs> I want to be Lillian Montevecchi when I grow up because she was still hitting a contract uh, negotiations at 80 and 82 and she was leading in shows and and uh, and I feel like oh god if she can do it just shut up and stop whinging get on the stage. <laughs> <laughs> well you're, you're on the right path. Um, so we we will be celebrating with you and I hope that when you're on that stage you get to just have some time to revel that yes. you've done enough you've done enough work you've done all the prep you just get to be you because you have everything you need yeah so, and like Whitney Whitney used to say in her in her she had a documentary can I be me yet and uh, oh. and I and I feel that feeling when I pop out of my box and I do my last PF song and I adore doing my PF songs and I simmer right down and I take my sweet ass time to tell you the truth. <laughs> and I just don't care because all I care about is making sure it matters for me. And then the audience usually are on board with that. That right there is enough. That's a great place to end. Cause I think for performers, when it switches to that, the whole game changes when you stop doing it for everybody else, for whatever voices you're still trying to satisfy or whoever's paying you to do it when you do it for yourself damn yeah why did we get into this business in the first place yeah and some people stop before they ever get there so the fact that you get to have this is where a lot of a lot of dancers never or singers never really got to be they were always doing it for 
for whatever yeah. reasons were not for themselves. So it's our, it's our reward to ourselves. So you might as well take it. I adore you. I'm just so inspired by you. So I'm going to say goodbye because I would just, love you, you know, too, Shaz. Oh, really? I love that. So I'm going to I'm going to get there one day and I'm going to see this beautiful place. and I'm going to come see the shows and just be super happy that they exist. So yeah. goodbye, my new friend. Take care mm-hmm. of yourself. Stay goodbye, healthy. Sherry. Bye, Bye to everyone out there. Love you, girls. Bye. Bye.